We're going to be in Mark 13 once again. We've come as far as verse 14. And just to bring us up to date again, Jesus has made a statement regarding the temple that not one stone will be left upon another. His apostles were pointing out to him the magnificent buildings, and he said, they're all going to be thrown down. And so, you know, they had questions about when's this going to happen, and, and you know, when are you going to return? And so Jesus begins to answer their questions in the first, up to verse 13 here, and he Warns them to beware deception, which he also will tell them a couple other times in this discourse. Then he begins to speak to them about birth pangs that have gone on throughout the ages, wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He says, don't be troubled by this. The end is not yet. But there are going to be earthquakes, famines, troubles, uh, pestilences that will be taking place. And then... What we talked about last week, he discussed persecutions for believers beginning with the apostles and really continuing to the time of the end. But again, increasing in end times because of the birth pains that increase in frequency and intensity. But Jesus then speaks of the sign spoken of by Daniel the prophet here in verse 14. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor take, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let not him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake whom he chose, he shortened the days. So Jesus begins to speak of this uh, sign to them, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. This is actually... It's spoken of several places in Daniel, but uh, we'll look in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, where uh, the angel Gabriel has come to Daniel, and he tells him this concerning Israel. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. Sounds like he's going to conclude everything in these 70 weeks. The, the word for weeks is, uh, simply means seven, and so this is 77. Sometimes it refers to a, a literal week uh, of days. Other times it refers to uh, what they observed as a week of years. Like for the, the annual Sabbath after six years, the land would lie uh, fallow for a year. And they had other variant, various places where they would recognize this week of years. And so we've got to determine here as we read this, is this is he talking about literally 70 weeks of days? Or is it some other time frame? He says in verse 25, Then know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. 
The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So we see here that if this is going to be understood as weeks of days, that at the end of 69 weeks of days, the Messiah should come. And we recognize also from history that at the end of those 69 weeks of days, Messiah didn't come. So he's speaking of a different time frame, 77, 70 uh, sevens of years, or the total of 70 would be 490 years. Well, here in verse 25, we've got um, seven weeks and 62 weeks. So seven sevens, 62 sevens. And one of those periods, he says, the street will be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. We see this in the days of uh, Nehemiah. And so uh, we get from this that it took 49 years to completely restore and rebuild Jerusalem from the time they started. And then the 62 weeks would follow that seven weeks, 69 weeks total, until Messiah the Prince. And after, he says in verse 26, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And that uh, means that he will be killed. This is something that was not recognized by most Jews of that time, that the Messiah would actually, and Jesus said, don't you, to his apostles, don't you know that all the scriptures have to be fulfilled, even those that talk about my suffering. This is one of those, 62 weeks Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, he was cut off for us, and that can also be translated, receiving nothing for himself, you know, he didn't establish the kingdom at that time. And then he says, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So uh, at this time, he says, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. At the end of those 62 weeks, there was actually a period of an extra 40 years before this destruction took place. But the ones who destroyed the city and the sanctuary were the Romans. And so he says, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And this prince is not Messiah the prince. This is another fellow that we recognize, someone called the Antichrist, is the common term that we use for him. And so the end of the city will be with a flood. And then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So we got this last week. Left over. We've had 69 weeks. We've got the 70th week here. Confirm a covenant with many for one week. So the question would be, does that week follow the 69 weeks? Contiguously, and again from history, hindsight, we know, no, it doesn't. There's something else going on here. And then uh, this final week is determined upon Israel and upon Jerusalem. And this one shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. People uh, usually interpret this as being the Antichrist confirming this covenant for a week with Israel. There will probably be some kind of peace treaty taking place. But if we look a little behind the scenes, we see that uh, these 70 weeks are determined upon the people in the holy city by their God. And so he's definitely going to be confirming the covenant with them for one week to fulfill this time. And, uh, you know, first part of this verse, small he in the New King James. But the next uh, sentence says, But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And the New King James 
translator said, well, he, that's, that's the Lord, you know. I think, again, it'll be both. The Lord's going to be bringing it to, to an end, but the Antichrist is going to as well. And we'll see more about this as we go along. So the middle of the week, what is that? Three and a half years. Right, if we've got a seven-year period, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So there's, uh, we'll get from this that Israel has to be a people at this time. There has to be a temple rebuilt in order for this to take place. There have to be sacrifices and offerings reinstituted in order for this to be fulfilled. This is yet future. So we're seeing a lot of it being prepared for in our day. And so in the middle of the week, he brings an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. That's, you know, who even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So this is the um, prophecy. Uh, it, we'll see it's spoken of in a couple other places in Daniel. But this is that abomination of desolation that Jesus is referring to, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And this passage, Daniel 9, uh, 24 through 27, is, is the great timetable given for Messiah's first and second comings. Uh, if someone had been aware of the true understanding of this, and some may have been, uh, they could have known this is the time that Messiah is supposed to come. They may have not have been able to narrow it down to the day, but they would have known this is the time frame in which Messiah should be here. And once again, if we have understanding of this, we can know the time frame of the second coming. It's going to be at the end of this final week, and we'll see that in other places. So this is perhaps the most detailed prophecy charting the times from Daniel's day to the last days of this age before the second coming of the, and the millennial reign of Christ. This is something the apostles would not see in their times. Jesus is speaking to them, but this is not something they're going to see. This speaks to the generation that is alive at the end during the final seven years of the age. Actually, this abomination is at the midpoint of that week, as we said. The final week, the seven years, is yet to come. There are some who say we're in that final week, we're already in the tribulation, we're not. (laughs) We haven't seen those things that indicate that the tribulation would be here. And and our understanding of the scriptures is we won't see it anyway. It'll be confirmed after we're gone in the rapture of the church. So this seven years is yet to come. The 77s in Daniel is interrupted by the church age. It's a mystery in the Old Testament. God turns his attention. That is his purpose. God is, of course, paying attention to everything at all times. But he turns his attention in his purpose back to Israel for this final seven years. He's no longer dealing with the church per se. Raptured out, getting married to the Lord Jesus. The time has been determined for the Jewish people and it must be completed. The seven years is detailed in the book of Revelation and it is in two parts, just as in Daniel 9. The first three and a half years and the last three and a half years. It is all the time, all of it is the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. We read this 
occasionally. Jeremiah 30, verses 5 through 7. Thus says, For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turned pale. So we see the birth pains here taking place. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. We see Jesus saying the same thing. We see Daniel saying the same thing. No other day like it. Uh, Jeremiah 30, verses 5 through 7. So that great is that day, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Of course, Jacob is the other name for Israel. It's usually the name God uses when they're disobedient. And they're Israel when they're doing well uh, many times. So this is the time of God's dealing with the Jewish nation and people, as we see in the context of what we read. It's those who in, who in Judea that are to flee the mountains to get out of town. The church is not mentioned at all during this time period in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 19. We don't read about the church at all. We do read about a people called the elect, and we'll discuss more about the elect and who those are uh, later on. Now, this prophecy, once again, has a near and future fulfillment or a foreshadowing of the actual fulfillment. The first, a foreshadowing of the specific fulfillment, which is still later, was in the time following the division of the Greek Empire into the four parts. Antiochus Epiphanes defiled the temple by sacrificing a pig upon the altar of the Lord and setting up an image of Zeus in the holy place. Now, Zeus, Jupiter, they're, you know, one's Roman, one's Greek, but they're the same deity. He also set up public brothels in the sacred courts of the temple. He was Antiochus IV. Uh, he reigned from 175 to 164 B.C. He was the eighth ruler of the Seleucid Empire. He gave himself the surname Epiphanes, which means the visible God. He and Jupiter were identical, he's saying, or Zeus. And he acted as though he really were Jupiter. The actual fulfillment of this abomination, as Jesus says here, is yet to come, and it's detailed for us by Paul. It's in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, this chapter. Verse 1 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit, or by word, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, just as Antiochus Epiphanes claimed to be the visible God. This man comes, he claims to be the God of all creation, the God of Israel. And as we read here in this context, it's in the context of the second coming. And so that's, again, yet in the future. He talks about what he talks about here in the 
out of that discord. Let no one deceive you by any means. You know, again, warning against deception. And he says in verse 5 then, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Uh, he who is restraining, uh, we believe, is the Holy Spirit within the life of the church, the church body. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Again, same guy, Antichrist. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The second coming. And this one who has set himself up in the temple as God is destroyed with the breath of the Lord's mouth, with His Word, and just the, the brightness of His coming, the light that He is uh, cannot be withstood. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, lies, and lying wonders. And so, you know, why the warning? Don't let anyone deceive you because there's going to be things that will seem to indicate that this guy is right on. Power, signs, not wonders, lying wonders. They're deceptive things that would be going on. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They rejected the truth of God. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. These are those who will take the mark of the beast. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, uh, we see this uh, detail of what's to come. The Antichrist breaks this final year covenant. It's likely in the form of a peace treaty. Uh, and in John 5.43, Jesus speaks uh, of this one. He says to them, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Speaking to the Jews. And so... And all the world will receive him, but the Jews as well will receive him. And uh, at the midpoint of this, he ends all sacrifices. He sets himself up as God in the temple of God. And at this point, there are three and a half years left in the current age before Jesus' second coming to the earth, uh, when, which we see in Revelation uh, 19. I saw uh, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse, he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And you can follow it through here and see his, his coming to the earth and his winning uh, that battle and bringing destruction at his second coming. Destruction to the Antichrist, destruction to all his followers. So this instruction that Jesus is giving is to Israel in particular, those in Judea, to flee to the mountains or get out of town. This word is to the future Jews, those who are now living in our time or perhaps beyond. And we see in Jesus' command that Judea will be in existence in these days of the fulfillment. In fact, there must be a Jewish temple for the Antichrist to defile. We can confidently state that the temple will be rebuilt. Everything's done except, what well, we'd say, the red heifer. They're still trying to find a perfect red heifer with no, not even one white hair. That's <laughs> what their standard is. I don't think uh, that perfection of redness is uh, that strict. But 
that's what they're looking for and what they're uh, wanting to see, and God will give it to them because uh, in His time, because this is something that has to happen. We can confidently state that the sacrificial system will be reinstituted and active for about three and a half years in the new temple. Uh, some other references to this time period, it's spoken of in several different ways. Um, Daniel 7.25, speaking of this one again, it says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. This is another way of saying three and a half years. A time, uh, a year, times, two years, half a time, half a year. In Psalm 94 and 20, where he talks about uh, seeking to change laws, so forth, uh, Psalm 94, 20 states, Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? And we see a lot of evil by law being instituted among the nations of the earth and even in our own nation at this time. Daniel 12:7. once again, he says, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. We have that time frame again. And when all the power of the holy people, or when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. So we know at the end, the only thing that keeps... Israel from being totally wiped out is the coming of Jesus to rescue them at this time period. And so uh, their power will be completely shattered. They won't be able to, they'll be, you know, they're not going to let anybody treat them as they have been treated in World War II. And so they will fight and they'll fight with whatever weapons they have. Uh, but they will come to that point where they can no longer defend themselves. And the Lord will have to step in and defend them. Over in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14, uh, reading about Israel here uh, symbolically, and we'll, we'll look at this chapter as well, it says, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent or Satan. So, once again, this time, times, and half a time is where uh, Israel is going to be protected during half of this tribulation period. And that will be the second half. Now, Revelation 11 and verse 3 tells us concerning these two witnesses who come, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 1,260 days is three and a half years with a 360-day calendar, which is what Israel has always used. The lunar calendar is what they use. So we get it stated in another way, but it's three and a half years still. And then Revelation 12 and verse 6, it says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Again, that same time period. So these are diff simply different ways of signifying three and a half years. Uh, at the midpoint of this week, then, the Jews will realize their mistake when this guy sets himself up as God in the temple. And they'll reject the Antichrist as their Savior. 
The Antichrist will then begin a severe persecution of the Jews, and God will protect those who flee Judea. In the Revelation chapter 12, again, if we go to that chapter, we'll just uh, look at this. This is a kind of an aside in the book of Revelation, giving us some background and history, but it's in a, in a symbolic form. In verse 1, he says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. It's back in uh, Genesis 37, 9 and 10, one of Joseph's dreams. He says, it says, uh, he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? So uh, that clues us in that he's speaking about Israel here, this woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and twelve stars. It says, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. So this this is the serpent. This is Satan in his rebellion. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. You know, the devil tried to wipe out Jesus by killing all the newborn babes in Bethlehem. He drew this third of the stars from heaven. This Most people understand this as being a third of the angels sided with the devil and our you know, fallen, fallen angels along with him. And uh, so he's seeking to devour this child. In verse 5 it says, She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. We know who that is. <laughs> and her child was caught up to God and His throne. And so we get the ascension of Jesus. And He's there at the throne now. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. So we're skipping some time frame here. Where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,000 260 days, as we read. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Um, he's confined to the earth at this time. And we see the Antichrist would at this point now become possessed by the devil himself, just as Judas was, the son of perdition. It says, it says Satan entered Judas. And so that he's going to um, possess this one, this, this one we call Antichrist. You know, people have said, and I think it's a, it's a good point, that probably throughout history, the devil has had a man prepared who could be the Antichrist, who could step in, you know, and, and because the devil doesn't know the time. He doesn't know when this is going to open up, but certainly uh, we see everything falling into place, into place now.
do we know who the Antichrist is? No. It's not Henry Kissinger. It's not uh, Macron. <laughs> Henry Kissinger was postulated way back in the Nixon years. Ronald Wilson Reagan. No, it wasn't Reagan. Um, you know, we don't know who he is. And uh, prayerfully, we won't know because we'll be out of here. You know, we might know after the fact. But we don't want to know, don't care to know before the fact. We're looking for Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. He's the one that's coming for us. Um, Joe Foch said he's not looking for the undertaker, he's looking for the upper taker. <laughs> so he's coming down, he's, he's been cast down. It says in verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So we see the martyrs here that are being overpowered by the Antichrist. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. At this point, he knows the gig is up. You know, I'm going to have to do everything I can to try and avoid complete destruction. And when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, the Jewish people. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. There's the United States. You know, people like to look for the United States in prophecy with the, the great eagle, you know, or wherever the eagle's mentioned. But uh, as far as I can tell, we're not mentioned. So he's given the wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for what? A time, times, and half a time. 1,260 days, three and a half years, in the middle of a week. From the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. People who have become believers after the rapture of the church and during that tribulation period. And he can't get to the woman. So he turns to destroy anyone else who might be following or, or serving God. Now there are some who think the forecast of all the events given in this discourse were completely fulfilled in 70 A.D. with the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. These are known as preterists. There are full preterists who believe all prophecy concerning the future has been fulfilled and partial preterists who believe most prophecy concerning the future has been fulfilled. Yet clearly there was no abomination of desolation in 70 A.D. Essentially, the abomination of desolation speaks of the ultimate desecration of a Jewish temple and idolatrous image in the holy place itself which will inevitably result in the judgment of God. It is the abomination that brings desolation. The temple was destroyed as Jesus prophesied, but there was no attempt to place any kind of worship object in the holy place. The temple was set on fire accidentally by the Roman soldiers. Even if there had been a seeking to put this worship ob object there, we would know that the end times prophecies are yet to be fulfilled by what Jesus says in verse uh, 19 here in Mark 13. He says, For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of creation which God created 
until this time, nor shall ever be. As um, Jeremiah told us, it's going to be a time that's worse like no other. Even if we limit this tribulation to the perspective of the Jews only, 70 A.D. does not qualify. They've had much worse times since then. Also, as someone points out, this interpretation, this understanding that it happened in 70 A.D. must spiritualize Mark 13, 19 through 27, which says that Jesus would return in glory soon after the abomination of desolation. We see right on the heels of that, the second coming taking place. That didn't happen in 70 AD. Some, some preterists will say it did. <laughs> Not in the visible. You know, they have to change and allegorize everything to make it fit. But he didn't come back. And, and even in that passage we looked at in Second Thessalonians, it's at that desecration. Uh, after that desecration following is the second coming of Jesus and his destruction of the... Antichrist. So, uh, we have to say for the Jews, the worst is yet to be because it's going to be worse than any other time. Uh, But make no mistake, we are not calling for any kind of anti Semitism. We believers are to love and pray for the Jewish people, for the peace of Jerusalem, we're commanded. And we do not seek that which is to come upon them, it is all in God's hands and His timing. We have a great debt to the Jewish people for giving us the Word of God in the Old Testament, well, the New Testament, and for the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who saves any who come to Him, Jew or Gentile, from their sins. So how how bad could it be if it's worse than any other time? Just generally, in 1343, the bubonic plague started to sweep across Europe In over eight years, two-thirds of the population of Europe was afflicted with the plague, and half of those afflicted died, an incredible total of 25 million people. This coming time of tribulation will be worse than that. Uh, Brzezinski, I don't know how to pronounce his his first name. You you may recognize his last name, but it's like Zbigniew. Zbigniew. Yeah. I'm sure that's... Okay. I knew Paul would know. (laughs) He wrote a book called Out of Control. And uh, the subtitle, Global Turmoil on the Eve of the 21st Century. It was published in 1993. And uh, he sets the number of lives deliberately extinguished by politically motivated carnage at between 167 million and 175 million people. That's just from governments killing their own people. (laughs) Most other statisticians have roughly the same estimates, uh, yet Jesus said this time of tribulation will be worse. If we consider Jews only, we only have to look back as far as the Holocaust to see that there's going to be a worse time to come and six million Jews perished in the Holocaust. Now, there were also six million others so a total of 12 million in, in that, plus you know everyone that, that perished during the war. Well, the preterists believe that any destruction or defilement of the temple qualifies as an abomination of desolation. So they have a bunch of them, at least some of the preterists. They do have differences among them. But this prophecy is very specific. One who sits in the holy place declaring himself to be God. 
Uh, Daniel 11 and verse 37 again, speaking of this time, says, Forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. And then in chapter 12 and verse 11, uh, Daniel writing says, From the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. We've got an extra 30 days there, an extra month at the uh, time of this, from the time of this abomination of desolation. It's going to be three and a half years, and there's speculation about what this extra 30 days entails. Well, we'll see, I think, in Daniel. Now, there's another uh, 35, 45, I think it's 45 days added onto that uh, for everything to be summed up because after Jesus returns, there's going to be the judgment of the nations and various things taking place. Um, so that's the prophecy. Sitting in the holy place declaring himself to be God, this didn't happen in 70 AD and certainly not since, since there has been no temple to defile. Antiochus Epiphanes was exalting himself above the God of Israel, so he's like a foreshadowing. He's properly Antiochus IV, but he took upon himself the title Epiphanes, which means, uh, as we mentioned, the visible God, the illustrious one, or God manifest. His bizarre and blasphemous behavior earned him another nickname among the Jews, which was Epimenes instead of Epiphanes, which means mad one. <laughs> As is the Antichrist, this man was a megalomaniac. Antiochus raided the temple in Jerusalem, stealing its treasure, setting up an altar to Zeus, sacrificing swine on the altar. And when the Jews expressed their outrage over the profaning of the temple, Antiochus responded by slaughtering a great number of the Jews and selling others into slavery. He issued even more draconian decrees. Performing the rite of circumcision was punishable by death. And Jews everywhere were ordered to sacrifice to pagan gods and eat pig flesh. These actions led to the Maccabean Revolt and the festival known as Hanukkah. From the cleansing of the temple, the, the two apocryphal books, First um, and Second Maccabees, are they're true history, good for uh, some of the history of the days, but they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit, not part of the canon. Uh, but during that time period, this is where the festival of Hanukkah came from because once they, the Maccabees had won and they began cleansing the temple, uh, they had to keep the lamp lighted for eight days. There was only enough oil for one day, but it burned for eight days. And so this, this miracle. Uh, and so we get the festival of lights or Hanukkah from that. Interestingly, in John 10:22, Jesus attended he was in Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication. We don't know if he, and that's Hanukkah. Um, we don't know if he was there to celebrate that feast or he was there just because there were a lot of people gathered there that he could speak to. And it was winter. We know that that takes place uh, in the winter. So the Antichrist will also claim to be God. Uh, Irenaeus, who wrote against heresies, uh, the refutation and overthrow of knowledge falsely so-called, wrote in the second century, when this Antichrist shall have devastated all things in this world, he will reign for three years and six months, 
and sit in the temple at Jerusalem, and then the Lord will come from heaven in the clouds in the glory of the Father, sending this man and those who follow him into the lake of fire, but bringing in for the righteous the times of the kingdom. So we see that this understanding excuse me, goes all the way back to the early church, early believers. Now Christians uh, did flee the city before the destruction in 70 A.D., uh, not because of the abomination of desolation, but uh, we read before Luke 21, as part of this discourse, Jesus says this in verse 20, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Um, you know, A lot of this passage we could think is the time of the very end, but Jesus says something here in this that indicates it's the time of uh, 70 A.D. He says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, and all things which are written may be fulfilled. That all things. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Well, that's not going to happen at the very end time with, after this desolation. This happened in, This did happen in 70 A.D. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And uh, Charlie was just reading something about the times of the Gentiles. And some people say, well, 1967 was the end of the time of the Gentiles because Israel took Jerusalem back. But they immediately handed over the Temple Mount and that whole area to back to uh, the Muslims. And so I think the times of the Gentiles are still uh, in effect, probably coming near to the end of the time of the Gentiles. So this passage, it doesn't refer to the, it does refer to the destruction of 70 A.D. and not one stone being left upon another that shall not be thrown down. But this verse concerning the abomination of desolation does not refer to 70 A.D. Jesus is speaking about the very end. It describes the final seven years of this age, the time of tribulation immediately before the second coming of Jesus to establish the kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Someone has said these words of Jesus have led some to believe that everything Jesus spoke of here was fulfilled in the first century in the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. It is true that this exhortation by Jesus was taken literally by Christians in A.D. 66 when Roman armies first came to Jerusalem. At that time, Christians fled to the mountains and were spared the great destruction of 70 A.D. However, Jesus also said that these events would bring in the great tribulation, as we read, time like no other time, and that those days would culminate in the triumphant return of Jesus uh, as we'll see later in Mark 13:26 and 27. They say, since we're still here 2,000 years later, we know that the abomination of desolation wasn't fulfilled in the first century. Jesus didn't come back at the second coming. So we know it hasn't been fulfilled yet. But it's also clear that we are living in that time or the days leading up to that time. How long will it take to unfold? Well, we don't know. But we are to be watching and waiting for the return of Jesus to take us to the Father's house before the time of the Great Tribulation begins. That is the 70th week of Daniel determined for the Jewish people, not for the church. 
we are appointed to salvation, not to the wrath of God. If we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, From the beginning here, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Well, the day of the Lord is that second coming and a time of destruction. The day of the Lord is always spoken of as a time of judgment where it's spoken of. It can be different time periods. And most all of those are foreshadowing the judgment that is spoken of here. For when they say peace and, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, birth pains, and they shall not escape. So he's not talking about come upon you. Say, uh, they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a time when His wrath is going to be poured out um, in uh, Revelation 3, speaking to the church of Philadelphia, he says it will come upon all who dwell upon the earth to try them. And so this is that time that he's talking about uh, the wrath of God being poured out. He's, he's not appointed us to wrath. Our, the wrath that we were due was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. And God's wrath is not going to be poured out on his uh, church, on his people. There, we'll, we'll get wrath from the enemy, from the devil, um, but God is not going to bestow his wrath upon us. And so, you know, he'll be taking us out of here before this takes place. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So that's our task. Yeah, our job to do. Let's go back and read uh, Revelation 19. Just this part about the coming of the Lord in the clouds. Verse 11 again, he says, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He's able to make war in righteousness. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He goes on to capture the beast and the false prophet, cast him into the lake of fire. 
And there are so many slain bodies, he invites the birds of the heavens to come to the, this feast, feast upon those bodies. Now, this is Jesus coming in the days of vengeance in Isaiah 61, where he stopped at the acceptable year of the Lord when he was reading in the synagogue in Nazareth. And then the next sentence goes on to talk about the judgment that's to come. And Jesus will carry that out the same as he um, completed our salvation upon the cross. God must, he's just, he's righteous, he's holy, he must judge sin. But he's made a way for anyone who desires to, to escape. It's those who refuse to come to him that their sins might be forgiven that will end up... uh, experiencing this kind of punishment. I know I said a couple weeks ago, a week ago, two weeks ago, I said we weren't going to be going through here one verse at a time. Remember that? (laughs) I said that, but I didn't say it would never happen again. (laughs) So I think we should stop here and we'll pick up. Go from here and go forward, Lord willing, uh, next time we're together.